0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, God bless each of you that are here today. We celebrate King Jesus and all that he's accomplished. And we are looking forward to him speaking to hearts and minds today as we continue this series in the month of October, Roaming Romans. And I know that uh, some of you, your heart is now settled, uh, that Michelle and I are back, that we didn't become officially Catholic and join the Catholic Church. And uh, as we travel through all kinds of monasteries and cathedrals in Spain celebrating 25 years of marriage. 25 years. Praise God. Praise God. But in the end, there's nothing like the U.S. of A. And uh, I tell you, it's good to be home and good to be with God's people, our people, you right here today. So as we continue with this series, I know some of you probably are getting provoked in a good way. and just uh, rekindle a desire to look at what God spoke through the book of Romans. And um, we're only spending four weeks in the book, but I do want to let you know if you're not aware, some of you are, maybe those listening uh, need to make you aware that at our webpage at Chad Creek Ministries, we have actually uh, tw- about 24 hours of teaching through the book of Romans verse by verse. And so there is... If this is kindling something in your heart, there is that opportunity to make use of that that is available. With that being said, I'm gonna—I know we just stood a good while for King Jesus and worshiping Him, but I'm gonna ask if you don't mind if we'll all stand for the reading of God's Word today. I'm gonna read from Romans chapter three, beginning in verse nineteen. Romans chapter three, beginning in verse nineteen. Apostle Paul writes there to the church at Rome. He says, "Now we know." that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, verse 21. But now, but now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as appropriation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justified justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man, a person, is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Father, we ask that by Your Holy Spirit You would anoint Your Word and apply it to hearts and minds, that You would glorify King Jesus. I yield to You, Holy Spirit, the best I know how. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You know, oftentimes... In pastoral ministry, as we listen to questions and engage seekers or engage those on the journey of following Jesus Christ, oftentimes questions arise dealing with personal ethics. Personal ethics of how to handle oneself in the midst of current tensions or culture. In fact, just recently in my own home, one of our children was asking questions regarding God's will on personal ethics personal ethics. The interesting thing is, is obviously these are noble questions, these are very important questions, but oftentimes the people of God forget that when it comes to personal Christian ethics, we find in the epistles of all epistles, in the pattern, the clearest pattern of sound teaching, the book of Romans, that Paul does not deal with such issues until Romans chapters 13, 14 and 15. Meaning, in order for a follower of Jesus to be in a right position with spiritual understanding to apply correctly personal ethics under the new covenant, we need to be well established in understanding what God says through the Apostle Paul in chapters 1 all the way through chapters 13. There is a pattern of sound teaching. A pattern. And so often, you and I, we, of course, face distractions, things that distract us from what God has spoken and what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. In fact, one thing that became very clear to myself as Michelle and I traveled through Spain is the amount of distractions within the historical Catholic Church, distractions from Jesus. And that's why today I want to... Teach a message titled The Righteous Foundation. There are so many possible distractions from the righteous foundation. Things that seek to distract us from a needed and necessary foundation that we all need in our life to be able to navigate successfully and clearly through personal Christian ethics and where culture and Christianity collides. So as we're going to see today as we look here in Romans 2 and 3 and through chapters 5, Paul says, listen, one must have a right knowledge of sin. Before we get to dealing with personal Christian ethics and how to engage culture and these questions that normally we find as the most pressing in our heart, because there are questions that face us in our daily dealings. Paul says first, though, to be in a place, to have a righteous foundation in order to deal with sus- such things well, we all must have a right knowledge of sin. In fact, in Romans 3.20, there in our main text, he says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge Of sin you need to be clear I need to be clear we need to be clear of why God gave the law the law was given to provide a right knowledge of sin maybe you're here today and you're new to Christianity or new to seeking Jesus and the way of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus and let me clarify what Paul in Scripture is saying regarding the law the law here is a reference to the Old Covenant to the law of Moses And Paul is clear here that a main purpose of why God gave the Old Covenant or the Law of Moses was to bring about the right knowledge of what is sin. What is sin? You know, a fool's point sometimes by the untaught and unstable is that Jesus did not address in His teaching certain issues. Maybe you college students on the college campus or you in high school have heard that this upcoming generation try to challenge and, and present such a notion. Saying, well, Jesus didn't say anything against what are the common cultural colliding issues like homosexuality or lesbianism or transgender or issues of marriage and divorce. And what they do not understand is that Scripture says Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, and He ministered under the law. For three years, He ministered under the old covenant, under the law, and He ultimately, of course, would fulfill all that the law commanded in complete obedience to the Father. But watch this. Jesus affirmed that the law was God's Word and it was without error. In such a statement, In that one statement, Jesus is teaching all that the Old Covenant and the law teaches. So when it comes to marriage, Jesus references the book of the beginning. He references Genesis. He references the law of how God created mankind, male and female. And that it was male and female that would be married, that would provide a context so that future generations could grow up to be the way God designed them to be when it came time to leave father and mother and they themselves be married and establish a home. When it comes to lust and sexual immorality and adultery, He references and teaches what the law defined as such in Leviticus 18. The Greek word is pornea, pornea... Represents in scripture, it's used all that is considered sexually immoral and sinful. And so Jesus clearly did teach and affirm what is a right knowledge of what is sinful in the eyes of God, regardless of what is considered right or sinful in the eyes of man and in culture. Paul, who encounters the Lord, and of course he was a persecutor of the early church and those who followed what was called the way of Jesus. He encounters the Lord and then Jesus calls him to be an apostle. Apostle just means a sent one. Paul also affirms and teaches what Jesus affirmed and taught in Romans chapters 1 through 3. And so this is important because you and I might live in 2022, but having the right knowledge of what God declares as sin has been clearly established through His holy word through the apostles and prophets that He sent the early church and used to record and write the Word. See, what I'm saying, friends, is we live in a culture that is unashamed to call what is right, or to call what is sinful, they call it delightful. We live in a culture that is unashamed to call what is sinful delightful, and therefore, as a result, consciously or unconsciously, are ashamed of the gospel of God. Jesus taught. He said, listen, I'm looking for followers of me that are not just ashamed of me, but are also not ashamed of my teachings. We live in a time where many people don't have necessarily a direct uh, issue with Jesus. They're open to talking about Jesus or they have this idea of who they think Jesus is and they don't find that idea of who Jesus is to be a negative thing in their life. But we find that many have an issue with what he actually taught, what he affirmed, what he declared to be sinful, ungodly, or wrong in the eyes of God. And Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In fact, just a couple months ago, there were several groups here from Dwelling Place Woodstock. And we went to downtown Woodstock to engage any persons who wanted to listen to us present the gospel in a visually manner. And the group I was in, we found one man who wanted to willingly engage with us. And and as we engaged him and visually presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to him, he ultimately in the end asked me, he said, well, what do you teach at your church? Because he found out I was one of the pastors regarding homosexuality. And see, that question was directed from a heart and an understanding that I have the liberality to determine what I get to preach and teach. See, listen to me. When Jesus Christ saved me, and transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into His kingdom, and I confessed Him as King, He had already determined and decreed through the Word what His church and followers were to teach. I lost my ability to take into my own hands what I get to teach and preach and believe. Either He is King of my life, or He's not when it comes to what I believe. See, listen. What we are called to preach and teach, the church has already been established by Jesus and His Scriptures. And so what I replied to Him is, is, listen, I don't get to determine what Jesus has already spoken and declared. To be faithful to Jesus is for me to be faithful to what He has already declared and taught. Another fool's point often is taking the stance that I will not participate and practice in such things that are sinful, but I also will not disapprove of the actions of those who do. I will sort of be a silent bystander. But Paul speaks to this in Romans 1 and 28. He says, "...and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, bolsters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents." undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, same, but also approve of those who practice them. Here the Apostle Paul rebukes and corrects the notion that followers of Jesus can also approve of those who practice such things. As followers of Jesus, we cannot call what God calls unclean, clean. We cannot celebrate what God does not celebrate that He says actually in the end brings more damage. Damage to people's hearts, damage to people's homes, damage to culture that leads to more pain and destruction and sorrow and grief on the earth. Here's why. Think about this. If in your life you approve of the actions of the people who practice such sins, then you cannot be used of the Lord for those people in your life to become aware of their need to repent of what God calls sin. See, if someone is not aware that they are a sinner, they are not going to be consciously aware of their need of a Savior. If you and I don't hold to what Jesus calls sin, then that person will not become aware of their need to repent of that which is sinful. Here's a word of caution Paul says, though, for all of us. Paul gives a word of caution that it is damnable error to only see the sins in others and never recognize and repent of sins in our own life. What Paul reminds us of is that all of us, even as followers of Christ, have participated in such deeds of darkness. And in one time we were all sinners and though the types of sins we participated in might be different than another person's sins, we likewise have participated and what is the principle of sin that Scripture calls lawlessness. That we all have lived as a law unto ourselves. We all have lived as our own king, as, as our own God. I want to read Romans 2, 1-5, through 5, where Paul says, in Romans 2, and verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things." But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Watch this, verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your unrepentant and penitent, heart you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God Paul here is saying that we are all called to repent oftentimes and we've done before series on understanding biblical judgment biblical judgment There is judgment used in Scripture that means that such a person is no longer unfit to live and therefore must die. We're not called to judge in that way. Jesus said, I've not come to judge in that sense because all are already judged, because all have sinned. Therefore, you and I are not to judge in a condemning way that there's no hope for a person, that their life is unworthy that they are unable to be redeemed we're not to judge in that way we are to just hold fast to the truth of what god has decreed because god's word already declares all of us are in need of a savior and salvation paul taught and believed that repentance from sin was necessary before experiencing forgiveness of sins Now what I have spoken briefly and and what we have seen that Paul declares right here in the beginning of the gospel of God concerning his son, listen to me, would already separate a large percentage of American churches today as apostate from the pattern of sound teaching. That there are entire movements and large churches and churches that don't even preach and teach or believe that repentance is necessary. And we just saw right here, Paul says, no, all must repent because all have participated in practicing sin. Why is repentance necessary? Because all have sinned. All are guilty before God. All have become unprofitable in their state of sin. For God's intended purpose for them. Notice how Paul continues in Romans 3 and verse 9. He says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. He continues on in verse 18 of Romans 3, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in a sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Listen to me, friends. The law is not the way to find the necessary deeds and actions to no longer be guilty before God and in right standing with Him. No. The law is given for you to recognize your guilt and have the knowledge and awareness and consciousness of your sin. That's why the law is given. So the law is given to have a right knowledge of sin. Paul, when he writes in his pastoral epistle to his mentor, Timothy, he says that the law has a single usefulness now for believers. It's to be used to expose to the murderer, to the manslayers, to the haters of mothers and fathers, fathers to the sexual moral. It's to be used to expose to people the right knowledge of sin. You and I, before we can move on to understanding how to navigate through personal Christian ethics as a Jesus follower and learn how to mature in what the Bible says, calls the new covenant the law of liberty, we have to be well established in the right knowledge of sin. That God has established in the law that knowledge and Jesus affirms it and Paul right here affirms it as well. So the law is given to have a right knowledge of sin, but then the question then comes once you and I have a right knowledge of our sin, We have a right knowledge of what God declares as sin, regardless of what culture accepts, regardless of what family accepts, regardless what our own opinions, our own emotions, our likings would want to be sin or right. But what God has declared as unholy, what God has declared as unfitting, what God has declared as damning to your own person and to the others on earth, then the question becomes, but now how do we be right? Once I accept that I have become wrong, once you accept that you have become wrong, once you accept that you are not in right standing with God your Creator, that all, and all means all, and that's all that all means, have turned aside, have become unprofitable in what God's plan is for your life, then the question remains, but now how do I be right? And Paul says in Romans 3.21, but now, someone say now, Oh, but now, once you get a right knowledge of sin, but now hope and mercy and the availability of a power that's not of yourself can touch your life. Oh, once you have the right knowledge of sin, it opens to you a vastness of the mercy and the ability and the grace and the influence of God and His work in your life. He says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. God foretold through the law and prophets that one day He was going to provide. He was going to provide a new way, a way that He of Himself would provide so that you and I could be made in right standing with Him. That where we went wrong, God was going to make a way for us to become right. That where we were guilty, God was going to make a way where He could declare us innocent. That where we were a sinner, God was going to make us a way to be forgiven. And God testified for thousands of years that there was coming a day. There was coming a day that He would make a way for all humans, whether we're black or white or Asian or brown or no, whatever country of origin we come from, that though all have sinned, God was going to make a a way for all to be able to come back and be in right standing with Him. He says, even the righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as appropriation by His blood. Through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Religion, because it is primarily outward focus, gets out of order the way that God works. See, religion and religious thinking wants to immediately seek answers to what deeds must I do to be right. Right with God, my Creator. But notice our point number two right here in the message is not how to do right. No, no, the point is, but now how to be right. See, listen, religion by definition is the adherence to a set of beliefs and practices. But biblical Christianity is about the adherence and relationship to a crucified but risen Savior King, Jesus Christ. See, biblical Christianity is relational at its core. It's relational. It's about our relationship to God and His Son and communion with the Holy Spirit. Can I exhort you and humbly remind you today that you will never understand correctly the gospel of God through a non-relational lens. If you look at the Word of God just through a systematic, just through a, 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 a teaching lens of trying to add teachings to yourself and right and wrong, you'll never understand true biblical Christianity. Because biblical Christianity at its core is relational. You remember when the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they come and they're corresponding and asking questions and going back and forth. And He says, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love God with all your being. Then they say, well, what's the second? To love others. What's he saying? He's saying to understand the gospel of God, you need a lens to understand this is about relationship. Relationship with God. Relationship with others. This is not us just adhering to a set of beliefs. This is not just adhering to a set of words. This is joining ourselves to a living King and Lord who came, who was crucified, who died and was buried, but rose victorious. And now He invites us into communion and relationship with Him. What this means is in the order of God, being right comes before doing right. In the order of God, being right comes before doing right. Practicing righteousness in the order of God flows out of first Becoming righteous. Fruit flows out of first being rooted in Christ. Meaning God has an order, just like there was an order in the Genesis of Count. The order of Him creating the world and the things in the world. There is an order to God's design for our lives. And this is what Paul is saying. That in the pattern of sound teaching, in the order of how... The way of God is in the new covenant. We must first have a right knowledge of sin, but then we need to understand how to then be right with Him. How to now become right with God. And this is what he says. He says in verse 21, "...the way now, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed." The way now to become righteous, you're not going to be able to look to and study and try to follow the old covenant and follow the law of Moses in order to be in right standing with God your Creator. That now there is a way that God has provided. Notice it's apart from the law. And it's as far apart as one side of the Grand Canyon to another. I mean, it's drastically apart. It's so far apart that Paul continually through his teaching and his ministry was trying to get the Jews to see that there's a drastic gap between the method that God set up in the Old Covenant and the method that He now has made available in the New Covenant. Why is this? Because God wanted now... A covenant that's apart from your deeds and your effort. God now wanted a covenant where it's not founded upon our own ability and effort. God wanted a covenant that we would not try to build our relationship with Him based on our own efficiency, our own ability, our own behaviors, our own actions or achievements. And that's why Paul says, now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. It's revealed. Why else did God do this? Because listen, it removes all boasting. And that's why Paul in Romans 3.27, he says, where is boasting then? and the new covenant, if now the righteousness of God is provided and it's apart from your deeds, it's apart from your effort, it's apart from what you've obtained through your own intellect and your own ability, then where is the boasting then? It's not something that arrived from us. It's not something that came from us. No, this is something that God has provided on the outside of us. God has acted. God has provided it. And this is why then it becomes good news. Because when you have a true understanding and a right knowledge of sin, you can have a right knowledge of who you were. And when you have a right knowledge of who you were, you understand that you are not consistent. You're not consistent like the sun to get up and run its course every morning. He says, where is boasting then? For some of you, the question then becomes, okay, we're talking about this righteousness. Pastor Chad, what is righteousness? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's simply the definition for the new covenant. Righteousness is being in right standing with God. Righteousness is the right to an eternal relationship with God, your creator. Now listen to me. This righteousness is not something you do. It is something you either are or are not. Either you are the righteousness of God, either you are one who is in right standing with God, either you are one that has the right to have an eternal relationship with God, or you're not. It's regarding your position before God. Now, notice Paul calls it the righteousness of God. What he's emphasizing here is that this is a righteousness that's been provided by God and ultimately for God. If you didn't hear one of the songs we sing today, that all is from Him, so that it all is what? Back to Him. God has acted and He has provided in His grace, which I'll talk more about here in a moment. He has provided righteousness so that we, because of the glory of His grace, would be filled with gratitude and give back to Him thankfulness. Thankfulness, why? Because God acted when we could not act on our own to provide this. God provided for you and I something that you and I on our own could never achieve and provide. God provided a lamb. He provided a plan even before the first man and woman went wrong. What's God saying? God says, I have created you. He knows your name. He knows everything that's happened to you, everything about you from the moment of conception. And God's saying, I created you because I love you and I desire to relate and have a relationship with you. That's why it's the righteousness of God. Why? Because God God desires to relate and have a relationship with you more than you desire to have a relationship with Him. And so God provided a righteousness because He longs. He longs to be in your life. He longs that you would be in a right relationship with Him to relate to Him. See, God created created us because He desired to have a relationship with us. A right relationship so that in every valley, in every season, in every circumstance, in every question, in every wandering, in every place of darkness, or every time of despair, or in the victories, in the mountaintops, in all times, you and Him would be able to relate to each other. That you would know by experience that you're not alone. That you would know that you're not by happenstance. That you're not just some thing of evolution that happened. That no, you have been handcrafted by God Almighty. And God made a way even before you were born to bring you back to be able to be in right standing with Him so that you could relate to Him and Him relate to you. Every day, every moment that you would experience that the God that created heaven and earth is a God that cares about you. He's a God that sees and He's a God that made a way for you to come back to Him. To come back to Him, not just as a Creator, but as a loving Heavenly Father. That the deepest longing of your heart and soul can only be found in coming back and being in right relationship to Him. This righteousness God provided was His Son, Jesus Christ. God didn't provide just a sheet of paper He didn't provide just a decree that would allow you and I to be made right with Him. God didn't take a bunch of silver and gold and buy this right for you and I to come back. No, God provided His Son, Jesus Christ. He provided His Son. In Romans 3.22 it says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, and on all who believe, for there is no difference. What the Father has accomplished in the Son makes it possible for us to be in right standing with Him. You wonder your Creator's desire about your life. You wonder how much He loves you and wants to relate to you. Look to the length of what He did and sending His Son to make that possible. Where you would no longer be wrong, but you would be made right with Him. Look to the length. Look to the preparation. Look to thousands of years of Him declaring, I'm going to make a way. I am going to become Jehovah's Sit Canoe. I am going to become the Lord, your righteousness. You're not going to have to try to find your own righteousness. You're not going to have to find your own way back to Me. You're not going to have to achieve your own way back to Me. No, I am going to provide the way. I am going to provide a righteousness. And He did it in His Son, Jesus Christ. Can I tell you the good news today is that Christ is our righteousness, that Christ is our right to have an eternal relationship with our Creator, that Christ is our right standing with the Father, that my ability to stand before you and to declare the Word, my ability to come boldly before the throne of grace and the throne of the Almighty is not founded upon my own achievement, my own righteousness, my own effort, my own intellect, my own actions or behaviors. It's founded on Christ and Christ alone. That He alone is our sure foundation. That He alone is our righteousness and our right to be restored to our Creator. As you hear me remind you often, even when we're not going through Romans, we're not Declaring and preaching the gospel of self, or the gospel of Chad, or the gospel of Mary, or Chris, or Tim. We're preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that He fulfilled what we did not fulfill. It's the good news that Jesus became the way that we could never provide. It's the good news that God has acted on our behalf, though we did not deserve it nor initiate it. Oh, that Jesus Christ is our right standing with the Father. He is our sure foundation. He is our sure footing. He is an everlasting, secure foundation of how we can relate to God, our Father. You know why Christ is our righteousness? You know why God did it this way in the new covenant? He says because He wanted all the seed of faith to be sure and certain that they're in right standing with Him. He didn't want us shaky from one moment to the next, wondering if we are sons and daughters of the Most High. He didn't want us from one day to the next, wondering if we're in right standing with God and had peace with Him. And this is why I'll read it to you, Paul, in Romans four sixteen continues. He says, Therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure, In the Greek that means certain, absolute to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, not only to the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. Paul said the reason God provided righteousness as a promise in the new covenant is so that you and I can be sure and certain that we're in right standing with our Creator. Listen to me. There's not unconditional eternal security, but there is eternal security, and His name is Jesus. The condition is Jesus because He's our righteousness. The question is, do you have the Son? The Apostle John said, if you have the Son, then you have the life, because you have your righteousness. You have right standing with the Father. Jesus Christ is our assurance. Jesus Christ is our certainty. Jesus Christ is our sure foundation. Jesus Christ our righteousness. It says in verse 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is good news. It doesn't matter how far sin took you. It doesn't matter the depth that sin worked itself out of your life. It doesn't matter the depth of how much you practice lawlessness and the ways that you practiced it. God has provided a redemption for all the four corners of the earth. You might feel like you were the furthest in sin. You were the furthest practicing living lawless and as a king unto yourself. But notice a redemption has been provided by His grace through Jesus. Redemption means God made a way to bring you back to Himself. Wherever you're at today, God has provided a way to bring you back to Him. God has provided a way to where you went wrong to make you right with God your Creator. That there is a redemption provided in Jesus Christ. That you have now available the ability to be redeemed and brought back to God. And notice it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Justified freely by His grace. Now oftentimes we get confused mercy and grace mercy triumphs over judgment the fact that some of you are still here today though you've heard the gospel before but haven't responded correctly through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ that's God's mercy that has allowed judgment not to hit your life his mercies are new each morning but grace is not the same as mercy because grace is is the influence and the ability of God to change and provide something that we on our own could not provide or change. And this grace, notice he says, it's free. Meaning, grace is a gift. It's a gift. This is why for some people it's harder for them to receive with spiritual understanding the gospel because the context of the home they grew up in, everything wasn't a gift it was had to work for. They grew up in a broken home. They didn't have a father that provided for them. They didn't even have a context where there was father and mother. And all they've known in this experience of so-called life is trying to just survive. And if they were going to have food, it was up to them. If they were going to have money, it was up to them. And they have known because of circumstances in the environment they've grown up on to live a life completely thinking it's all about their effort and their achievement. And that's why they, when they think about how to relate to God the Father, they think about works. That if I do enough, then God will finally do something for me. But Paul makes it clear in the New Testament, the New Covenant is clear, there is a vast gap between grace and works. See, grace is a gift. You need to know that God wants to give you what you could never of your own experience. And achieve that you need to cease striving and know that He is God. Paul, when he talked about the Jews of his day, said they have a zeal, but it's a zeal not according to the knowledge or the order of God. That they're trying to establish their own righteousness. They're trying to establish their own way to be right with God. And they are stumbling and tripping over Christ crucified. See, the fact that Christ was crucified means that God has not provided any other way for you and I to be made right with Him. If there was another way for you and I to be right with God, then it would have been no, not necessary for Christ to be crucified. So grace is a gift, but works is a debt. Is a debt. But Paul says, no, no, we are justified, we are no longer guilty because He freely provides grace for us. This is why He says it's not the law of works, it's not the law of effort, it's not the law of attainment, it's not the law of self-enlightenment, it's the law of faith and believing that God so loved you so much that He did and He provided what you could never provide and do for yourself. He provided righteousness. He provided a way for you to come out of whatever corner you've been hiding in, to come out of whatever place sin has taken you captive, to come out of whatever place that has bound you and the torments of hell and Satan have afflicted you, that you can come out from any corner you're in, that there is a redemption, there is a righteousness, there is a way provided by His grace and ability, and Jesus Christ is that way and the only way to the Father. Father. In Romans 4 verse 1, Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father and the faith has found according to the flesh, according to his own ability? For if Abraham was justified by works, if he was justified by what he did, if he was justified by his attainment, if he was justified by his education, if he was justified by his performance, if he was justified by his deeds, then he has something to boast about. Paul said, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Watch this. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. When you get your paycheck, you don't go home on Friday whenever you get paid, or you check your bank account, you got a direct deposit, and say, oh my gosh, what a generous gift. My boss and employer's giving me. My God, what generous people. No, you go, you work, and when you get that check, it's because there's a sense of obligation. They have a debt to pay you for what it is you have done. Grace is not like that. To be made in right standing with God, it's not that way. It's a gift. And the gift is to make us so grateful that we say, Lord, You, the King that would die for me, my life is no longer my life, but it's Your life. Because my life was wrong, but You made a way for me now to be right with God, and therefore, what I am today, it's only by the grace of God, therefore, my life is no longer just for me, it's for You. that His love would so capture our heart that it would compel us to do how Jesus lived, to take up our cross and not live for our own name or for our own glory or our own self-seeking, but to live for the glory the name and the seeking of God the Father, His Son Jesus Christ, by the power and communion of the Holy Spirit. See, listen, if there was another way, it would have been unnecessary for Jesus Christ to be crucified. This exposes every false way. It exposes every false religion. The Muslim faith, they declare that Jesus wasn't crucified, died, and buried. There's the deception in it. Because if Jesus wasn't crucified and died, then righteousness hasn't been provided. The devil hates the fact of Jesus' death because in His death He disarmed principalities and powers, having removed the law and the code that was contrary and against our nature, having fulfilled it in Himself, so that now we can be brought and redeemed into right standing with God, our Creator. Buddhism, it's personal enlightenment. Changing ourself. No, 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 no. If there was another way, it would be unnecessary that Christ was crucified and died. The fact that God has allowed His Son to be crucified is God declaring to every nation, to every person in every year, in every culture, that Christ, Jesus, is the way, the only way back to God the Father. It's the only way to be made right. It's the only way that where you went wrong to find forgiveness of sins and to be made right. Listen, friend, depending and trusting in your own efforts and actions to be made right before God is spitting upon Christ and His death. It's communicating to him that his death was unnecessary. Do you know why having a right knowledge of sin is important? Do you know why now understanding how to be made right with God is so important? Because Jesus tells of the, from the situation that happened of the prostitute that came and barged into the context and began to anoint his feet and worship him. He uses that as a moment to explain that to the one who knows they've been forgiven much, they love much. Do you know why some of you followers of Christ, your fire of the fire of God has began to flicker and began to dissipate in your heart? Is because you have forgotten the true knowledge of sin and the true knowledge of how to be made right with God. You have forgiven the links of God's love of what He did to forgive you. But it's in rehearsing to ourselves and recommunicating to ourselves the pattern of sound teaching and the gospel and the good news that begins to fire our heart again with gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord but if it were not for the grace of God but if it were not for Jesus if it were not for God to act on our behalf to provide a righteousness where would we be how desperate how broken how still in the bondage of sin would we be how still hiding in our shame and our guilt would we be? Oh, but because of Jesus. Oh, but because of Jesus, our righteousness. Oh, because Him being our righteous foundation. a Life can be built upon Christ and Christ alone. So there's the right knowledge of sin. There's how to be right with God. And lastly, there is the issue of the foundation of the blessing. Now I will admit, friends, if you come to Michelle and I's home. And you come in the front door that you will step on or step over. A doormat that says blessed. It says blessed. Blessed. Some of you, I suppose you have cars that are blessed because on the back of the car there's a sticker that says blessed. So I suppose somehow that car is blessed. Some of you have shirts that you wear. Say Blessed. I'm not sure why that shirt's blessed and your other ones are not blessed, but nevertheless. We ask people, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. The question you and I have is, what is this foundation of what it means scripturally to be blessed? In Romans 4 and verse 5 it says this, but to him who does not work, but believes on Him, ban you can come. Who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes, here it is, the blessedness of the person to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Blessed is a state of being happy. Jesus, when He begins to declare the culture of His kingdom, He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. Why? Because when you realize the right knowledge of sin, when you realize you're not right with God, only then you're in a posture for God to fill you what you can never fill yourself with, His righteousness. The righteousness of Christ and a relationship with Him and forgiveness. Blessed is being in a state of being happy, but happy about what? Well, first, can I tell you in all strictness of right speaking, spiritual speaking, we can say in all strictness of right speaking, God cares about us being happy. It's just a matter of defining and how we are using the word happy. That... The happiness that ultimately God cares the most about is you and I receiving His free offer, free gift of forgiveness, and right standing with Him in and through Jesus Christ. To know the blessedness that though we don't deserve it, God has reached us right where we were at, despite where we went wrong, despite how we wronged others, despite how we wronged ourselves, despite our sin and transgressions, despite saying that we're our own God and we're our own King, despite it all, God made a way for us to be forgiven and come in right standing with Him. God wants us to know the blessedness of experiencing His forgiveness And right standing with Him, though we didn't work for it. Though we didn't earn it, we didn't achieve it. Inconsistent followers of Jesus are ones who are always moving. What they are placing as the foundation to their happiness. But when Jesus, the righteous foundation, becomes the foundation for your happiness then whether you're in a season of good happenstances or not, you're blessed. You're in a position where your sins are forgiven and you're in right standing with God, watch this, where you can be even more empowered by God. See, the foundation of this blessing, of knowing your sins are forgiven and you're in right standing with God, not because you earned it, but because you have placed faith in God's way, Jesus Christ. It can be built upon. It can be added to. This is why Scripture says a believer can receive grace upon grace. This is why the New Covenant says that God is the glory of all grace and He's got more grace for you. But we all need to have that secure, righteous foundation. The blessedness of being forgiven and in right standing with God Watch this, is so that now, in every circumstance you face, in every issue you face, in every season you face, you can now be empowered by God to face it. You're now, because of the righteousness of Christ and you believing in Him, you're now in a position where there's no moment, there's no season, There's no circumstance that you have to face depending upon your own ability. That God's got grace upon grace. That God brought you by His grace into this position so that now you can experience more grace for what you're facing. This is what I'm praying for. For a move of God's Spirit in the American churches of understanding grace upon grace. Listen, because we've been in America and been in a context where there's not been war for many decades in our country, and there's been a context where people can work and get education and better themselves and get a good job and have good money and we can live in an outward type of peace and prosperity, there are many believers whose life, listen, is still being Built upon those natural things, just like un- unbelievers. But the gospel means you and I, not of our own doing, have been brought into a right standing with God where we can receive supernatural grace in all areas of our life. Listen, it's one thing that through natural knowledge and wisdom, to have good finances, it's another thing for the supernatural grace of God to do something in your finances. Listen to me; it's one thing to do natural things to take care of your body and have good health. It's a whole nother for the supernatural grace of God to minister life to your mortal body. It's one thing through through knowledge and 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 good decisions to have good friendships and relationships. It's a whole other thing though for the supernatural grace of God to bring divine connections in your life. What I'm trying to tell you, friends, is that once we are secure in understanding the righteous foundation, God's got more grace, enablement, empowerment, and His influence that can come into every area of our life. What I want for this church, and I'll pray and want for you, is for you to be able to look in any and every area of your life and begin to see where the supernatural grace and influence of God has worked in that area. That you had these memorable moments of saying, I am experiencing in my finances, I'm experiencing in my relationships, I'm experiencing in my emotions, I'm experiencing in my business Things that only the supernatural grace of God made available. Beyond my own working, beyond my own understanding, beyond my own achievement and education, I'm allowing the grace of God to do even more. Why? Because the more grace that we receive upon this grace foundation in Jesus, the more glory God can get. The more we can testify to the ministry of God's supernatural ability in every area of our life. That we have homes and relationships and marriages and finances and businesses that get where they get, not just through the natural means that you and I can provide, but because of the supernatural influence and empowerment of God upon those areas of our life. Oh, hallelujah, friends. But Paul says before we move on to Romans 5 and learn how to use that gift of righteousness to receive more grace that we would reign we would experience the reign of the kingdom of God in every year every of our life. He makes sure that we, through the pattern of sound teaching, are clear in having the right knowledge of sin. Are clear on how to be made right with God. That we're clear of how to have the only sure and certain foundation to build a relationship with God your Creator upon. And that we are clear on what is the foundational blessing. The foundational happiness in our life is that though we were guilty and though we had all turned aside. God met us in our sin and in our transgressions and He had provided a lamb, He had provided a person, He had provided a way, Jesus Christ and through the declaration of the good news of what God the Father did on our behalf the Holy Spirit used the words that are beyond just mere words but their spirit and life to author faith, the trust that we no longer can trust in our own ability to be forgiven and made right with God. We no longer can be, try to think that we can build our own ladder to heaven and earn eternal life. Oh but God has provided it all through Jesus Christ, and to those that place faith and believe in Jesus, the right standing that God provides comes into their life. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.